Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Psalm 118. Open for me the gates of the righteous, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We praise thee, we bless thee, we worship thee, we glorify thee. We give thanks to thee for thy great glory. O Lord God, heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sin of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sittest at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For thou only art holy, thou only art the Lord. Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. Amen. We pray, triumphant King, in the garden tomb you overpowered death. Champion of the cross, on your shoulders you carried the weight of this world, and by it our ransom was paid. You broke the chains of death, you stormed the gates of hell, you broke the darkness to bring incomparable light. You have defeated the evil that lays claim to us. Now speak the word that raises the dead to life. Heal the hearts of broken children and scattered lambs. Grant us the place you have promised next to your heart and close to your altar, O Lord. Amen.
Our first reading is Jeremiah 31, 1 through 6. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the desert. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt. O virgin Israel, again you will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the joyful. Again you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading is Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Hallelujah. Christ Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Alleluia. Our holy gospel is written in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Glory be to you, O Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. There's nothing so weird as preaching a sermon for Easter to an empty sanctuary. But that is the strangeness of these days. The plague of Corona, the plague of the crown, as it means, as it is. And more than once, godly men have wondered, what of this crown? Many men have wondered what will it mean to our churches, our communities, our nation, our economy? Is it indeed the end of the world as we know it? Well, the crown matters. Who wears it matters, that is. And Easter sets things straight. I have on my wall in my office, in my study, a carefully hand-cut wooden image of a lamb. It's before the days when you did those sorts of things on computer. It, its foreleg 
is wrapped around a cross, a pennant of victory, and a halo or a crown is around its head. It is known as the victorious Lamb of God. It symbolizes Christ, the conquering King. This theme springs from the words of Revelation. The angel speaks to John there, saying, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Now, it seems to be a bit of a mixed metaphor here. The lion, the king of beasts, and the lamb, the most humble and meek. But there it is. The throne and the crown belongs to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who is the king of David, of Judah's line, the lion. And there is no other. The text in Revelation goes on. Angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 encircled the throne. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Those beautiful words are so necessary for us right now. Even as John in exile on the island of Patmos first penned them, even as the oppressed believers of the early church first read them, we need to remember who wears the crown. Our days, like days of John's exile, are strange days indeed. But the disciples also knew such strange days. You know, we never hear what happened on that Saturday before Easter. It is a Saturday when I am preaching this Easter sermon. It had to be one of the strangest days of all for the disciples. Strange and sad but we have the benefit of the whole story. They did not. But still, it must have been a very sad limbo for them to wait. It was the old Jewish Sabbath. And though there are some Christians who make a big deal out of maintaining Saturday as the day of worship, there's a very good reason for the first Christians to begin worship on Sunday. Our text starts on the first day of the week. Sunday. God acted in a powerful way to show that there was something more important than the law of Moses, which had commanded the Sabbath. Something bigger. Jesus made a point more than once to show he was beyond that law. He fulfilled that law. He was always doing miracles on that day. Now he rose on Sunday. The seventh day, so important to the Pharisees, had been fulfilled and overlaid with the first day of the week and the third day after he had died. God's grace had overshadowed the law of Moses. And so this Saturday had to be strange indeed to the disciples. Their rabbi and their Lord had just been 
crucified by the Jewish leaders. Did they go to the synagogue? Maybe they did. Maybe they, they just gathered as we do these days in a most unusual way. Perhaps God prepared their hearts. Perhaps it was just in mournful waiting until the final rites of anointing could be accomplished. Maybe that is what they thought. Then the formal time of weeping and mourning would begin on Sunday morning. But God had other plans. God was reordering all time. God was reordering all worship. God was still God. But now men would know him through a resurrected Christ. The very first words of our text reveal the nature of those hours before, while it was still dark, it says. That is the nature of these, these days and those days, even our days. We cannot see things clearly. Paul confesses that much to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Mary saw what she saw. The stone was rolled away, but she did not understand what she saw. It is clear she was sure someone had taken the body away. She did not know where it was. There were other women with her, we know, but they were all bewildered, unable to guess what lay ahead. Then Peter, and we know John, ran to the tomb. John is too modest to name himself, but he is the one who outran Peter. Peter is the one who first peers into the tomb. He goes inside. Then John steps inside. They crouch inside the tomb. They see things are very ordered. That is a sign of God. The word by whom all things were made has always been able to put things in order. The cloth was folded. The linen was laying there on the bench of that tomb. This running and not knowing is our Saturday mode as well. They feared, they ran, they wondered, they made assumptions. They stared at what they could see. These days, people think our answers will come with what we see. Strange. All that we go through came from something we could not see at all, a tiny virus from tiny cells. Men talk constantly of what they can count and what they can see. We consider death rates and morbidity and number of cases found by county, state, and country. Numbers do matter. Even Jesus was specific as to the day of his resurrection. But numbers did not start this virus, and numbers will not end it. What governs the plague that strikes us? Is not God involved anymore at all? Listening to the news, most any and every major network, you'd think not. But certainly, this could have been worse. 100 years ago, it was, in 1918, the Spanish flu that had devastating consequences. In Alaska territory of that time, on Bristol Bay, some Inuit villages, it is said, would lose nine out of 10 people. Yet remarkably, 
there were others who lost none. Certainly there are medical explanations for these things perhaps, but, but wait. Shouldn't we of all people remember there has always been another who wears the crown, not of death, but of life, who is the Lord of life? Jesus Christ did not waste that Saturday. We do not know the timing, but we are told he went and preached to the spirits in prison. He descended into hell, Peter speaks of it, not to suffer, certainly, but to proclaim victory. The lamb wore the crown. Jesus was able to use that day, and Jesus is able to use these days of quiet isolation and suspended schedules, even this season of illness, for good. We cannot know exactly how God worked to prepare the disciples for Easter morning, but we can be sure the words of Jesus were not lost on them. They could only see what they could see, and it wasn't much. But with Sunday morning, God had worked. Not only had he risen from the dead, he had prepared the hearts of men like Peter and John. Peter had failed Jesus. Peter had even denied his Lord. Peter had wept bitterly over his failures. John had stood watching Jesus die. But look what happens here. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. John speaks for himself. It would take a few hours for Peter and the others to come around completely, perhaps, or to make that confession of faith. But within a week, every apostle would understand their Lord Jesus was Lord over death itself. He had died to forgive their sin. He lived to bring them peace with God. The story of Mary reveals the deep sorrow that comes naturally to this world caused by the unseen virus of sin. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Certainly the wages of sin is death. And we often find ourselves pondering that, looking there, Mary weeps. She stares into the tomb. This is what we know as well. We know sorrow now. In these days, I have numerous times heard people express their sorrow. It is as if this strange inability to meet together would tempt us to lose our bearings. I feel it at times as well. A sadness, the inability to accurately know where exactly I am, how strange it is that we cannot gather to eat ham and pancakes for Easter breakfast, to gather around the word and sacrament of our God, to gather under processional cross as the sun rises and the bells chime. But if we stare at the tomb like Mary, we should not forget the tomb is empty we should not forget who wears the crown, the God who ordered death to conquer death and the resurrection to prove his promises is able to order this strange time. He has done it before. I recently read an article, caught my eye. Tim Elmore was the writer. 
And I think he was trying to just encourage college students who are sent home during this time by this article, but we should see God in it. Isaac Newton was a college student during the Great Plague of London in 1665. And even then, Cambridge students were sent home. Even then, they knew enough to socially distance themselves. And so Newton returned to his family estate about 60 miles distant. And the year he spent away, he later referred to as his Annus Mirabilis, the year of wonder. Isaac continued working on math problems that he'd begun at Cambridge, and the papers he wrote at that time became the, the, the creation of calculus. And then he acquired some prisms, and he began experimenting with light in his room. He even drilled a hole through his shutter so only a small beam of light could shine through. From his explorations emerged his theories on optics. And then there was this thing outside his window, an apple tree. Yes, that apple tree. And it launched his thinking. The same power which made an apple fall to the ground was not limited to a certain distance. What we call gravity must extend much further than was usually thought. Why not as high as the moon, he said to himself. From this apple and tree observed in the exilic days of the plague, Newton developed his theory of how God had ordered motion and gravity. Back in London, a fourth of the population would die of the plague that year. It was just one of the many outbreaks during the 400 years that the Black Plague ravaged Europe. But Sir Isaac Newton comes to us today as one of the foremost Christian scientists the world has ever known. He was a scientist. He was a Christian. He was a believer. He would discover all sorts of th things about how our universe works. But always in the end, the glory was to the God who created it and made it all so. Newton returned to Cambridge in 1667 with his theories in hand. Within six months, he was made a fellow. Within two years, he became a professor. As Elmore put it, a big interruption became a big introduction. Most people run from solitude. We are conditioned to put on earplugs, turn on the radio, turn on the TV, make noise. But a 20-year-old Isaac Newton had no video games or internet or TV. And God used this time for him to reveal timeless ideas for us all. Newton's life had come to a halt, just like yours and mine, in terms of its usual schedule during that pandemic. But God would use those days to get Isaac ready. There were better things to come. One cannot appreciate Easter Sunday without recognizing that Saturday in between. We cannot possibly appreciate the resurrection or the little daily resurrections we will know without recognizing that God has appointed a Saturday in between, a time when we do not yet know. The one great gift we possess from that Saturday and Sunday after Jesus died is the truth that Jesus kept his word. He rose 
Just as he said, he came to Mary with the most tender and powerful and simple word ever spoken. Mary. Yes, that word, Mary. That is not a great revelation of theological principle. It was a powerful revelation of God's love. Jesus perfectly aimed his love for this woman. And that is true for you as well. On this Easter morning, he would speak your name with tenderness and power. In simplicity, he would speak your name. He knows you. He would remind you amidst all the upheaval and strangeness of days, he is alive. And he would ask, as Mary was by the, the angels and by Jesus, she was asked, why are you crying? Christ Jesus, where is the crown? He can take these days and use them for good. Mary ran back to the disciples with the word. He is alive. And that very evening, John would write, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. The day that started with tears ended in joy. These days will soon be over, it is sure. These days are strange of this epidemic of our life, perhaps. But they need not just be sad. God help us to use this day to create, to ponder his creation, to forgive and to treasure our own redemption our own forgiveness. The lamb who died for our sins wears the crown over all things. Turn, repent, lift your eyes from the tomb and see who stands among us. Jesus Christ, crowned king over all. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.
risen Savior, make us to burn with the fire of your love, that we may love you above all things and love our neighbors as ourselves. Deliver us from fear and relieve the anxiety of our hearts, that we may live out fully the hope planted within us and the new lives we received in the waters of our baptism. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O risen Savior, hear us on behalf of those who cry to you in any need, especially the sick, the suffering, the disabled, the wounded in spirit, those who suffer mental illness, and those in their last days on earth. Give them grace according to their need and sustain them in their afflictions to the day when their sufferings will be exchanged for the glory of life to come. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. All praise to you, dear Father in heaven, for you have opened up to us the way to eternal life in the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for all those who have gone before us in the faith and now rest from their labors. Keep us in that same faith and embolden us by your resurrection to be fearless in the face of disease, chaos, loneliness, and every sorrow of this world. Give us the solemn expectation to cheer us. Our Redeemer lives, and we too shall be resurrected and glorified to live with him in his eternal kingdom. Through this same Jesus Christ, your Son, our resurrected Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. He lives all glory to his name. He lives my Savior still the same. He lives again our glorious King. Where, O oh death, is now thy sting? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.
and sing. 